0: Well, folks, today is an introduction to our practical series that we are reintroducing to Rethink Real Estate. Uh, One of the massive parts of feedback that we've gotten from everybody that's listening. And again, thank you to everybody that's followed, liked, or subscribed to us and certainly love hearing the feedback and you guys sending us emails around topics that you want covered. But a lot of the feedback that we have gotten is around the fact of the old episodes that we did in Rethink Real Estate, the practical nature of being able to use the scripts, dialogues, and concepts that we have come up with, and certainly just the everyday elements of real estate. It's all good and well, the interviews that we're doing. People love hearing about the success of agents with auction and the different elements of traditional real estate as well from all over North America, but then also internationally as well. However, people are asking for a little bit more of a practical side of the business stuff they can put in place in their real estate business today and use so this is the introduction of that series now that'll be an ongoing nature that for the podcast itself so that can you use the practical elements that we provide today's episode is going to be on seller reports seller reports is something that is becoming prevalent in a changing marketplace to make sure that not only are you telling the seller feedback accurate feedback from the marketplace so they can make an informed and educated decision but also providing it to them in a tangible format has never been more valuable in order to back up everything that you're telling them from a feedback perspective. So let's dive into it. Hope you enjoy the episode. Welcome to Rethink Real Estate. My name is Ben Brady, and this is a real estate podcast aimed to deliver sales strategies, marketing tips, and business insights from industry experts and myself to build a listing focused business for the future. Let's get into it. So guys, welcome to Rethink Real Estate. Today, we're going to be going through seller reports. Now, I've got a copy of a seller report in front of me and a structure that will be made available to you in the show notes so that therefore you can download it at any point that you might believe that you need a template. All of the templates that we are providing, there's two different templates. I'll be going through one of them. The other one's a very similar structure. They're all based off PowerPoint. So you are able to edit each individual section as well, add your brand, add whatever you need to, maybe change the color scheme, whatever it is that you would like to. But we are going to have these available for you to download as well as as we go through them. Now, the premise of a seller report, let's go through a few of the principles in the beginning, but also then the practical element of putting it together and the flow of which then you put it together. Another episode that we're going to be doing is actually going to be on how do we hold a seller's meeting every week in order to make sure that we can display and present this report in the most effective nature possible. Now, Talking about seller reports, the first thing that we need to understand is that is the tangible element of the feedback. So for example, you're obviously doing your daily communication with your sellers. You're informing them of obviously the day-to-day elements of what is happening. Seller communication is another episode that we'll make sure that we feature as well to ensure that if you don't have something to say, what can you say? Now, if you don't have something to say to a seller, then that needs to be the premise of the conversation. You need to let them know there's nothing to say. Just like your seller reports as well. Your seller reports, if there is not a great deal of detail, don't be afraid to produce a seller report without detail. That will speak louder than words in the sense that there's not a great deal to report on. So first things first is the way that we are obviously communicating with our sellers. This is that tangible element that then you can provide that is a summary of all of those conversations that you might have had leading up to say that weekly meeting when you present that report. But the report and the way that you compile it itself is so important to the structure of it for a process of elimination that process of elimination is incredibly important for a peace of mind element. Remember, a seller won't accept the marketplace until they have complete peace of mind that everything has been done to get them their desired result. And this report that I'm going to be running through today is going to be the essence of the way to structure that from a top-down approach. So I'll give you an example is on page one, we're going to start with where the largest element of our inquiry comes from. The largest volume of eyeballs that a seller needs to see is the internet traffic. Have you ever been asked the question where are you marketing my property? Now let's face it. There's only one way to market the property. It's by syndication through to all of the ML- from the MLS all the way through all the public portals that are out there. Any other marketing that you do is probably only on a local basis or something to make you just feel better in general. Yes, social media marketing is definitely one way of doing it also. However, Social media marketing is just based around getting eyeballs to that individual property to give the seller peace of mind that they've seen it. Very rarely does it produce a result or a buyer themselves. I'm not saying it can't. All I'm saying is that the ultimate means of marketing a property are just through all of the major portals. That's where most people see the properties. Whether it's the MLS or whether it's the public portals, that is where most people are seeing the properties. So you need to harness that. If you are doing social media advertising, make sure that you get the reports include the volume of eyeballs that are seen on that property. You can get very large amount of eyeballs on a individual property or ad for a very cheap amount of money. Chris and I have done podcasts on that. So there's plenty that you can go back and reference in the marketing side of it of how to do that itself and do those micro farming areas around the properties as well in order to try and provoke more business through the social media side of things. However, making sure that then you're putting it into the report on a numbers perspective. Thousands of people are looking, whether it be Zillow Truly or Realtor.com, whether it be the social media advertisement, making sure that you put all of those numbers into the weekly report structure itself. So page one, there is website activity and you can have social activity as well. Making sure that you compile all of those numbers there. But there's one important part that I would suggest you doing is making sure that in this structure of this report, this is page one, this should just be the week, the last seven day summary of those numbers. So therefore, subtracting from maybe the first week or the second week, the biggest thing that I see, and this is one of the major tips that I'll give you in your reporting, is most of the time people just provide a report, which is the compiled volume of eyeballs that people have had online. So 15,000 or 20,000. Realistically, within the last seven days, how many people have seen the property? So that then you can monitor the drop off in eyeballs or the drop off in attention of the property, making that obvious to the sellers. This will give them peace of mind that a high volume of people are looking at their property itself. Now, the other thing that I would put in here is from a perspective of website or online traffic is... If you're doing any email marketing, the reports of the click-through rate, that is a very sobering thing to be email blasting out to the real estate community or or your database or whatever it may be and showing that maybe 10 or 15% of people are clicking through on the property to show how difficult it is and how much volume it takes in order to attract anybody to the property as well. Including that into your report will certainly give peace of mind from an eyeball perspective. Now, the other part here as well that you need to run through is going through and talking about the phone inquiry. That is the next element of this report. You go from online traffic to then phone inquiry. So you might have had 20,000 eyeballs on the property, but how many people have called, asked for information on the property, or that have asked for the next open house date if it's not advertised or whatever it may be. So how does that correlate? You've had 20,000 people that have looked at the property in the last seven days, but that's resulted in 10 phone calls, whether that be from agents or buyers. So therefore, what we're trying to do is go through a process of elimination with the sellers by saying there were 20,000 people that looked at the property. Out of that 20,000 people, 10 made a phone inquiry, picked up, and were curious enough to ask questions about the property. So essentially, 19,990 people have said no to the property. Again, we're not physically saying that. We're just trying to give a process of elimination. The next part from there is the open house and second showings. So out of the people that phoned, how many of those people turned up? Now, a lot of the time what will happen is that your phone inquiry, the volume of people that have called on the property itself will likely probably be less than the open house or second showing, but in some markets that might even be more. But either way, that correlation will show from an open house or a showing into then the second showing category. So just to recap, we've got on the first page, website, online activity, email activity. Then we've also got phone inquiry. We've also then got open house visitors and then second showings on the property in the last seven days. So going all the way through to levels of inquiry of people physically seeing the property, people calling to ask and people seeing it online so that therefore there's peace of mind that the property is being pushed out as far as it possibly can go. So second page of the report. Second page of the report is the general feedback and comments. General feedback and comments is based around the people that have been through the property and we've got obviously date that they have been through the property, whether it's the showing, whether it's the open house, whether it's a second showing. We therefore then have their name. I think it's important that we don't include people's last names. One of the things that we've been caught out in the past with seller reports, is people Googling them and then maybe looking at the wrong people, maybe looking at Facebook profiles, getting incredibly personal with people and then forming opinions that they're not the right people to buy their property. I think we need to protect one, people's privacy, but two is again, we can't allow people to make a sum- of people before they've actually put in an offer or bought the property. The next part is whether they're an agent or a buyer. I think it's important to understand whether or not they are a buyer in the marketplace or whether it's an agent representing a buyer in their opinion. We then put Comments slash status. So what this means is not comments that they have about the property. It is not direct feedback about the property itself, like they don't like the carpet or the layout. This is saying, this buyer has been looking for six months, has made offers on other properties, still looking, or something about their status. You can't connect the feedback of that person to their name. Otherwise, the seller will completely discredit that buyer from the equation. If a buyer says anything negative about their property, they will not listen to the price feedback. Associating bad feedback with somebody's name makes the seller completely reject that person. And if that person was to put an offer in and the offer wasn't exactly where the sellers want it to be, but it might be market value, they'll completely discredit that offer because that person saw the property from a negative light. I'll show you where you put comments and feedback from buyers shortly, but this is simply a status update. First home buyer has pre approval, something along the lines of where they are from a status perspective, not what their opinion of the property is. So, again, do not attach their opinion of the property to that person's name to allow the seller to completely discredit that person because they could be your buyer and that could really harm you in the negotiation later. Now, the next part is value seen. Value seen at, so what price? Now, folks, this is one of the things I do need to get a little bit passionate about is that one of the things that I find incredibly frustrating in the real estate community is people's one lack of ability to follow up, but two, their lack of ability to follow up and ask a question of what do you think the property is worth? And then a follow up question to that. Okay, based on what? What other properties have you seen? And then also another follow up question, which is, Would you put an offer at that price? Now, the other part of all of this is that what do you think the property is worth provides valuable value feedback, but then also asking what is your budget? That is the next column here. So we've got date, name, buyer or agent, which one are they? Comment slash status update. Then you've got value seen at and budget. Now, the interesting part about this is their budget. If they think that the property is worth 1.5 million and their budget's 1.5 million, then hey, that's not going to hold a lot of weight with the sellers. Okay, so if they are putting in a low element or a low low opinion of value, and they have a low budget, I probably wouldn't include that because it's irrelevant. If they are having a low opinion of value but their budget is much much higher. That is accurate information because the true value is somebody that can pay more but just doesn't think it's worth it based on other things they've seen. So again, guys, just reiterating, is it not attaching the comments about the property or the feedback about the property to that person's name, making sure that if they have a higher budget than the number they have given, that's an important part so that therefore they can see accurate feedback. Don't provide them with feedback that will just frustrate them because they want $2 million and you give them feedback of a buyer that's at 1.5 and their budget's 1.5. That's simply just going to continue to frustrate them and then blame you that you're bringing the wrong people through. Sorry to interrupt the podcast, but wanted to ask a quick favor. If you're seeing any value in what we're providing, we'd love it if you could like, follow, or subscribe, whether you're listening on a podcast or watching us on YouTube. One step further is that if you can think of anybody in your community that this episode could help, we'd love it if you could share it to them so we could cast our message further and broaden our audience. Thanks again. Okay. So now the next section that I want to get to is our consistent comment section. As I mentioned before, and not to beat a dead horse is the fact that we don't want the buyer's details or the buyer's names associated with the comments on the property itself, their feedback on the property, because what it will do is taint the buyer. And if they are in fact your best buyer later, you don't want the seller not engaging with that buyer because they think that they they don't like the home or that it's not the right fit for them, or maybe the location isn't ideal or whatever it may be. All of these things that in the report itself, we need to make sure. Sure that we remove uh, the opinions of what people think of the property away from that person's name, so that therefore everybody can stay neutral. So this is what this next section is for in the report section: consistent comments. This is where you compile all of the feedback. Now, when I say feedback, I've said feedback a number of times already in this podcast itself, but realistically, the word feedback equals what their opinion of price is, but also what their opinion of the property is. Price. And their opinion of the property are very, very important when it comes to feedback and getting that feedback is important. So asking more questions to get better feedback is really important. Even if you're following up with a buyer representative, asking more questions about, hey, what did your client think? What did they think of the location? Provoking questions. Okay. If they're like, oh no, they liked it. Okay. Well, what did they like about it? Okay. Was it the size of the bedrooms? Was it actually leading into it? So then you've got a little bit more substance to provide back to your sellers rather than, oh yeah, they thought it was good. Okay. You can say they liked the size of the bedrooms. They thought the location was good. And when you start asking more details about whether they, what they liked or what they didn't like about it, you'll actually find you'll get more and more of the truth. And you might even find that the agent probably hasn't even followed up with the buyer or asked them more detailed questions around it. So therefore you know that that buyer is not connected to their agent. So therefore, in the consistent comment section, where there's no correlation with the names of the people that have been through, this is where you put the layout is a little unfavorable, too much work to do, or great location. People constantly bring up the size of the property and love it. You know, whatever they need to be, that is where those consistent comments go that are then separated away from the actual buyer's feedback or the buyer's agent's feedback. Now, guys, I do want to make another point here. This is page two. This should be just the last seven days or so. It shouldn't be compiled altogether. That is what the very next page is for. Page number three, as we click over, you will see a graph on your screen, okay, or on the report if you're following along. And this here is where I believe is the most important part of the report itself. The important part of whether it's an open house or whether it's the showings themselves is compiling what buyers think the value of the property is, value seen at, okay? And going through where the consistency of that level is. If you're looking at the graph at the moment, you'll see a dark blue line down the very bottom, which is your seller's expectations. Now, seller's expectations, if you don't know this already, then this is a big, big issue. The benefit to our non-distressed auction process that we go through is the seller sets a non-disclosed reserve price at the very beginning with the auction team and the listing agent. So this is very much upfront. Now, in a traditional listing, you want to make sure, sure, there's a list price, but what are their actual expectations? And it allows you to adjust it when you go through this report in the weekly seller meeting. Now, As you can see in this diagram and in this graph, you'll be able to see the dark blue line down the bottom. Now, the seller's expectation versus what the buyers think that the value of the property is or the value seen at, is there a difference? The answer is yes, a very clear and decisive yes. I'm a visual person. 75% of people are visual, and this speaks to me more than what any of the other part of the report would speak to me on. I would clearly see that there is an issue. There is an issue based on what my expectations are versus what the market value is. Then I can put in a summary of offers to date, okay, and obviously putting in the feedback averages. So the highest feedback to date is X, lowest feedback to date is X, average feedback to date, highest offer, lowest offer. Going through those metrics and on a collective basis, this page three is the complete process in a collective element so that therefore it casts a very, very clear indication of where we are at. Notice that there is a primary focus of this page. It is price. And too often, people shy away from price and don't give the tangible evidence in a report fashion and they hope that an offer educates a seller. But by that time, if it's a good offer with a good client and that's the chance you use to educate your client, it's too late because they're likely not going to accept it and they'll end up having to accept less later because you lose momentum because they said no to the right buyer. And it was definitely the right buyer because you hadn't gone through this process of them being able to tangibly see it. Now, it's all good and well to say, yes, but I've communicated with my seller lots and lots and lots and lots and lots. That's okay, but there needs to be a consolidation of all of those phone calls in this tangible evidence of your seller report. So just to reiterate, first page online inquiry, emails that you've sent out in the read rate or click-through rate, social media that you've done from an eyeballs perspective. Give them peace of mind that every single person out there is seeing it. You can get tens of thousands of people to see the property every week so that there is no question of, is my home being marketed? Who's seeing my property? Where is it being advertised? There's tens of thousands of people that are seeing it. Go through to the phone calls. How many people are interested enough to make a phone call about the property and ask questions? Go through the open house viewings and then going through the second showings. That is a great correlation to go through. We had 10 people through, but it only booked in two second showings because they're the serious people. Second page is all of the comments around or the general feedback and comments. Now, remember, not putting the last names in of people. So therefore, sellers aren't looking them up and trying to come up with their own assumptions of who those people are. The other part as well, understanding whether they're an agent or a buyer, understanding also what their status is, not what their opinion of value is because we don't want to correlate the opinion of the property with them. We want to just give them a status update of what that buyer is, has been looking for three months, hasn't found anything, has put several offers in on other properties and missed out, whatever that needs to be. Then you've got value seen at and then their budget. Now, if their budget is more than what the seller wants or more than what their value is seen at, then hey, we need to include that. But don't put stuff in there that is just simply going to frustrate the seller for the sake of frustrating. So again, if the seller wants $2 million and you're putting in that someone's got a budget of one five and they think it's worth one five, guys, that's just going to frustrate them that the wrong people are coming through and you're getting blamed for that and they're not going to try and discredit everything, discredit everything because of it. Then you've got consistent comments. This is where you put the consistent comments. It's important to ask better questions. Okay. Oh no, they thought it was great. Or yes, no, we really liked the property. What did you like about the property specifically? Okay. What were your thoughts about the bedrooms? Provoke the conversation. You bring the points up so that then you can use that, whether they are good, bad, or indifferent. Okay. Then on the third page, this is where we put everything to collectively together. Page one is the last seven days. Page two is the last seven days. Nothing collectively. Page three is collectively all of the price feedback. That visual element of the seller wants X and the buyers see it at Y. This is a very, very powerful page and these reports are available to you in the link below that you can download and use. If you have any questions, please reach out. Ben.Brady at harcourtsauctions.com would be happy to walk you through them, but they are there. They're available. They're editable. They're easy to use on PowerPoint, but hopefully this helps. We will be going through an episode of how to present the report to the sellers in the weekly meeting to make sure that everything is covered off. But again, this is the start of our practical series so that therefore you can be using and implementing this stuff into your business immediately. Thanks for tuning in to Rethink Real Estate, folks. So about 75% of our audience hasn't liked, followed, or subscribed to our podcast. It would mean the world to us and it would help this podcast more than you know to expand our reach if you were to like, follow, or subscribe on any of the platforms that you're watching or listening on. Thanks again.